Well, I was saying good morning, beloved, now that you can hear me uh, maybe more clearly. Um, it's, it's good to be back with you all. Um, we had a time of flying out west for about four days, and, um, it, which would, itself was a good getaway, but um, also just an answer to prayer. One of the things we had been praying was is that we might have an opportunity to be on a plane before we headed out to Africa together as a family. And um, God just providentially provided that through a generous um, offering of a friend and allowed us to go and um, turns out that a family of six is not that big of a threat to the TSA. We continually were like, hey, you're through here. I think they were just ready to get the Jesse Circus through um, there and get us out of the way. And so, but that was good. And then this last week, Emily and I were in Louisville all week with uh, doing missionary training. And um, that was just a refreshing time, an encouraging time, an affirming time, a challenging time, a sobering moment to be in that room with other couples and realizing that the vast majority of them were headed to places where the gospel is not welcome. And um, the reminder, they were going into some of the darkest places, some of the more dangerous places on the face of the earth to take the gospel. And, um, and so it's humbling to be in the presence of those other brothers and sisters and um, encouraging. And so I think a lot of that leads in as we contemplate the end. Um, I had hoped or planned originally to come back to the book of Genesis and pick back up where we left off. But the realization is, counting this morning, we have about 13 Sundays between now and Easter. And the realization is, as we contemplate this race, in some ways coming to an end or a passing of the baton, we began to contemplate, man, maybe it was wise to ask this question. What is a biblically healthy church? What is a biblically healthy church? Are we one? If so, then why? And if maybe there are areas and not, then what needs to change? And so I thought, man, it would be wise for us as we spend some of this last time together to contemplate that. And so in the weeks ahead, we're we're going to be laying some key foundational stones. And the reality is, listen, we can't cover everything. So there's going to be key stuff that we're going to leave out. And you're like, man, where is that? Or why not talk about that? And you're right. There's just so much we can cover. Also along the way, be really upfront. This is not original to me. This has been throughout church history, what churches have looked for and done and I'm influenced by a pastor who wrote back to his former church as they were entering a time of transition and they were considering what was ahead for them. He said, hey, listen, here's some things. Here's some markers that you guys need to look for. And that pastor's name was Mark Dever, and that became known as what was nine marks. And these these markers are identification of healthy churches. And so we're going to look at some of those in the weeks ahead. But the reality is whatever are our barometers, our markers of health, they are only true and beneficial in as much as they are rooted in the Word of God. We can conjure up whatever we think a church should be or whatever it should look like, but it is God's Word that is to guide the church and to shape the church and to direct the church. And so, guess what? We're going to do what we've been doing or striving to do the last 15 years of my time here of pastoring. We're going to let the Word of God continue to guide us. And we're going to lay today, I think, a foundation that which all other stones are laid upon. It's this, the preaching of the word, the expositional preaching of the word. And you might wonder, why is that? Well, because you're going to see in the weeks to come, hey, that's not new. We've heard those things before. Why? But because by God's grace, we work chapter by chapter, book by book, verse by verse. And in doing so, you uncover what does it look like to be a healthy church? But maybe you hear that word expositional. When you exposit something, you're pulling something out. Like you're saying, what is here? And so maybe a simple way of thinking about expositional preaching is this. Whatever the main point of the author who wrote, inspired by the Holy Spirit, should be the main point of the sermon. 
It's that simple. Like, hey, whatever that author's main point was, that should be our main point. Now, again, I've been guilty in the past and I'm still striving to learn. And so I I would encourage you in, in the years and days ahead, show much grace as you've shown to me. But the reminder is, right, it's not just simply coming to a verse and making a comment and reading the next verse and making a comment. No, no, we must realize that in some way, every line that is there points to a bigger point that the author is trying to make. And so we must labor to that end as preachers. It's in some way as we come to preach God's word that the preacher should first be moved themselves. Right? We can't assume coming here that if this word isn't moving me, then why should I assume it's going to move you? It's as the great 1900s preacher Martin Lloyd-Jones said, preaching is theology coming from a man who is on fire. In other words, this word has ignited a flame in our own hearts. You feel that maybe as a Sunday school teacher, as you come to your class week after week, you can't wait as maybe a parent or a grandparent and you open the word up. Maybe as a friend, you come and share with others. There's something about this that grips your heart. You think, oh, brother, sister, if you heard this, if you could just experience this sweetness. Or maybe it's a rebuke that needs to be heard. I think there's a great danger, though, when it comes to preaching, as Paul said, that there was going to come a time when people would gather around them a great number of preachers that would say what they want them to say. He talked about itching ears that would hear what they want to hear. And why is that? Because our sinful flesh longs to create the God of our own making to affirm our own sinful desires. Our sinful flesh longs to create a God of our own making who will only affirm our own sinful desires. And that just reveals further what Ezekiel 37 is going to show us today. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. But the good news is, the hope is, that expositional preaching is the first step in having a biblically healthy church. Expositional preaching, preaching the Word of God, is the first step of having a biblically healthy church. You may feel like, man, that's a big statement, but as we look to Ezekiel 37 today, I I hope and pray that that refrain just rings true in your heart and mind as we see this. Expositional preaching rests in the power of the Word. Expositional preaching rests in the power of the Spirit. Expositional preaching rests in the power of God. Turn with me this morning to Luke chapter, or sorry, Luke. We've been in Luke. We're now in Ezekiel, Old Testament prophet Ezekiel. Ezekiel chapter 37, as we come to this first truth, expositional preaching rests in the power of the word. Hear with me now the word of the Lord, beginning in verse 1 of Ezekiel 37. The hand of the Lord was upon me, and he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord. So Ezekiel's having this vision that's taking unfolding. Listen to this vision. It's one of the most epic visions in the entire Bible. And he brought me out in the spirit of the Lord and set me down in the middle of the valley. It was full of bones. And he led me around among them, and behold, there were very many on the surface of the valley, and behold, they were very dry. And he said to me, Son of man, can these bones live? And I answered, O Lord God, you know. Some translations rendered, O sovereign Lord, you alone know. No, look at me just for a moment. Verse 11 helps us interpret what is happening here. Verse 11 says, Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones 
represent the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up, our hope is lost, we are indeed cut off. You see, at this point, the northern kingdom of Israel spent about 150 years already in exile. The southern kingdom of Judah, and including men like Ezekiel, the prophet here, have spent about 10 years in Babylonian captivity. Indeed, their bones are very dry. They feel like there is no more hope, that they're already dead, that, man, God's word is on, finished on us and we're scattered to the side. But into this moment of hopelessness and despair, listen, in the midst of our hopelessness and despair, as we sang earlier, right in, in through the storm and through the night, I will rely, I'm going to wait for you and your word. And it's through God's word that he displays his power to us. How powerful is he and what is God planning? Well, flip back, if you would, just for a moment to the chapter right before this. Ezekiel 36, 26 and 27 are two of the more epic verses in the entire Old Testament. Listen to what God says. Again, Ezekiel 36, beginning in verse 26. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. And I will put my spirit within you. And listen to the result of God's Holy Spirit coming to dwell us. The transformation. Look at this. This is talking about the new birth that we only see clearly as we come into the New Testament. And cause you. This is the result of being born again. And cause you to walk in my statutes and be careful to obey my rules. The question, right, that they had is, how could God ever deliver us from such physical bondage? But in that question lies a deeper question. Why are they in physical bondage? Because they were first in spiritual bondage. They had rejected God's word and they had gone after the things of the world, the idols and the things that would please them and satisfy them. In short, they are just like us. In fact, they've done nothing to earn or deserve God's coming to set them free. And more than that, guys, this isn't the imagery of, oh, man, those are just some bad people that need to turn over some new leaves. They need to just get their act together already. No, they're dead. Listen to that again. These bones, he says, are very dry. It represents God's people. They're spiritually dead in their sins. That's what Paul says in Ephesians 2. We are dead in our trespasses and sins. Paul says in Romans that the wages of sin is death. Jesus said in John 3, in that nick at night moment, that if we reject him, it says that we are condemned already because we have not accepted the name of God's one and only son. Yet in the midst of this, God is going to give them spiritual life. And we need to ask how. How will God cause the spiritually dead to come to spiritual life? Look at me, you would pick up verse 4 through 7 here in Ezekiel 37 again. Then he said to me, prophesy over these bones and say to them, O dry bones, hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord God to these bones. Behold, I will cause breath to enter you and you shall live. And I'll lay sinews upon you and cause flesh to come upon you and cover you with skin and put breath in you and you shall live and you shall know that I am the Lord. This moment here, we must ask, what do dry bones like us need? The answer is right there. Again, look at it again, verse 4. Look, Just focus in. Oh, dry bones, hear what? Hear what, church? The word of the Lord. 
If you're spiritually dry, maybe you're dead in your sins this moment. You've not yet come to believe and trust on Christ, repenting from your way, old way of life and looking and trusting in Him. Or maybe you're a believer and you're trusting, but there's dryness. What do we need? All of us. The Word of the Lord. We need God's Word. That's what will save the lost and restore the church. In fact, we must preach this word because the Apostle Paul said unto you and I and to the church at Rome in Romans 10 and 17, faith comes through what, church? Hearing and hearing through what? The word of God. Did you hear that? Today, whether you're apart from Christ and need to come to faith, Paul says it's through hearing the word of God. Today, you may be a child of God and walking in your best season, but you know what will continue to strengthen you and keep you close and clean? Hearing the word of God. Dry bones. Hear the word of the Lord. Now, look at me. Listen, Ezekiel here, he isn't up to just proclaim whatever he feels like. Ezekiel isn't able to stand in the pulpit, so to speak, and just say whatever he thinks and respond to the culture of that day in whatever way he deems necessary and important. No, listen to the end. Look at verse 7. Listen to there. So I prophesied as I was commanded. There's a call. Ezekiel heard God's word and then he faithfully proclaimed it. That's in some way a great description of what is expositional preaching. It's looking at God's word, then coming to God's people and saying, Thus saith the Lord. This is God's Word to you. Hear the Word of God. Augustine, one of the early church fathers, summarized it well saying this, when the Bible speaks, God speaks. Hear it again. When the Bible speaks, God speaks. Do you, I mean, I don't know about you, but there's times I'm just like, man, especially in this journey, I'm like, man, Lord, if you just sit down with me, brother, and just please, Lord, help me see the way. I, I, sometimes I'm just so desperate. Like, God, would you just... And kindly and gently, the Father just reminds me, Blake, I've spoken to you. I've spoken to you in my word. I've spoken to you fully. And lastly, the writer of Hebrews says, through the Son. Watch what happens now when the prophet Ezekiel faithfully proclaims God's word to God's people. Listen to this. Listen to this. Unbelievable moment. Verse 7, So I prophesied as I was commanded, and as I prophesied there was a sound, and behold, a rattling. And the bones came together, bone to its bone. And I looked, and behold, there were sinews on them, and flesh had come upon them, and skin had covered them, but there was no breath in them. Our culture is enamored with the dead coming back and all of these different shows and things. Beloved, I want to let you know that the only one who could truly raise the dead is the one true living God. That's what's happening here. Let that enamor your soul. Let that excite you. Let that cause you to persevere and trust wholly in Him. That's the one who can raise my soul to life. What a scene. It's a graveyard. A graveyard. I'm not just like recently decomposing bodies. No, these bones are dead, dry, long dead. And yet in this moment, when he proclaims God's word, they go from skeletons to corpses. Church, there is nothing more powerful than the word of God. In the coming weeks, we're going to be hearing about what is a biblically healthy church. And I pray and hope and will be our aim that everything that you hear ultimately is rooted in the word of God. And that's why we must expositionally preach this word week after week. 
In fact, I said it earlier, the things that we come to won't be new to you. Why? Because years upon years, we've been trying to labor to do that very thing. Preach the word. Why? I think there's two reasons for that. One, the word of God commands us, preach the whole counsel of God. Secondly, we as a church believe that the power does not come from the preacher, but from the word itself. Now, again, that doesn't mean that the preacher has no significance. The Sunday school teacher, right, the parent, as we lead and do, as we share the gospel, that doesn't mean like, oh, it doesn't matter how we live or what we do. No, it's not indicating that. But ultimately, the power does not rest in the preacher, but it rests in the word itself. I struggled with that for a long time. I'm being transparent. I still struggle. There are Sundays when I walk to the car as the pokiest little puppy you've ever seen. There were years I remember getting that car and Emily like, Blake, we can't do that again this week. Can't. You've got to pray and strive to live the Lord and proclaim the word. And man, there's just so much I thought it relied upon me. And there was times when I would just I thought if I could just if I could just give enough gusto, if I could just do a little more, maybe someone would come and respond. Maybe some more hearts would be stirred. But if it's just me, that's no transformation. This word must do the work. I hope and pray that's an encouragement to you as a Sunday school teacher. As you lead family worship in your home or you share the gospel, that your reliance is upon the word of God. But also it ought to be an encouragement or maybe a challenge or rebuke. How much of the time in your family are you giving to sit around this word? How much time in your Sunday school classes are actually centered upon the Word and not on all these other things? Church, the power to raise the dead doesn't rest in us. It rests in God. And God uses the power of His Word to give spiritual life. But the interesting thing was, at the end of verse 8, did you hear it? Look back at verse 8. But there was no breath in them. And that leads us to our second truth. And it's this, expositional preaching rests in the power of the Spirit. Expositional preaching rests in the power of the Spirit. Look at me again, it's the Word of God. You hold it in your hands. Wow, you hold this in your hands. To my Gideon brothers and sisters, labor hard and labor well. This is the Word of God. And people might hold it in their hands. It's no small thing. It's no small thing. I know my hair is small, but it's at attention right now. Striving with all it can. To, it's just screaming out. This is God's word we're holding. It's God's word. Lord, please help us. Verse 9, listen to this. Then he said to me, prophesy to the breath. The word breath there can indicate wind, but it's also the same word used of the spirit. Listen to that. So he's saying, ultimately, speaking to the Holy Spirit, prophesy, son of man, and say to the breath, thus says the Lord God, come from the four winds, O breath, and breathe on these slain that they may live. So I prophesied as he commanded me, and the breath came into them, and they lived and stood on their feet, an exceedingly great army. Notice again, God gives his word in verse 9 that Ezekiel is to prophesy to that breath. And what does he do there in verse 10? So I prophesied as he commanded me. Right? He trusts, Lord, you are the one who's going to do the work. It seems impossible. We're in captivity. I mean, the northern and southern kingdoms have been divided. There's been so much wickedness. We're here because of all our rebellion and rejection against your word. The temple lies in ruins. The walls are torn down. It seems hopeless. Some of you there? 
seems hopeless in that marriage. In those finances. With that wayward loved one. Let us be reminded, beloved, the strength, the change that comes not from us, but from God and the power of His Holy Spirit. You see, the imagery is that of the house of Israel here being brought out of captivity. And guess what? They don't come out because of some might of some man. It's not someone who rises up and like throws off the yoke of their oppressors. No, the Spirit of God works and He moves the heart of the king of Persia, Cyrus. And he decrees that those in Israel, those of Israel, they should go back to their land. They should rebuild the temple. It is a reminder of Zechariah 4 and 6. Not by might, nor by power, but by my spirit, says the Lord God Almighty. It's God at work. This passage, see church, this passage explains to us how God has, is, and will always bring new birth. It's not about a church having the best programs or the biggest budget or the newest and greatest way to share the gospel. Those things are all great, but when that becomes our confidence, mm, when those other things become our confidence and our trust, we are in deep trouble. Because morally, what we're looking to do is just make people more like us, make them good people after all. No, this is about a new birth. Why? Because Jesus said in John chapter 3, I tell you, you cannot enter the kingdom of God unless you are what, church? born again this is it this is about being born again this is about eternal life what we do as a church is no small matter it is of epic proportions that echo throughout eternity church let us rely solely upon the word of god and the spirit of god to do this work the story goes that charles spurgeon this great 19th century preacher in london was walking down the street one day, and a man who was drunk was leaning on a lamppost and yelled out to him, Hey, Mr. Spurgeon, do you remember me? And Spurgeon responded, No. Why should I? And the man says, Because I'm one of your converts. To which Spurgeon responds, Well, you must surely be one of mine because you're not one of the Lord's. Spurgeon in that moment wasn't indicating that sinners or Christians are sinless. He's just saying that if you've truly been born again, there should be a change in your life. Could I ask you that? Again, I'm not saying that you don't have missteps, brothers and sisters. We all have missteps, believe me. Blunders. Daily. But I'm asking, is there a pattern in your life of willful rejection of the Word of God and the Son of God, but you are just simply going your own way? This gospel compels and defines for us that those who have truly heard and received it are born again, and their life bears that fruit. You see, Jesus said you would not recognize them by their profession, but instead they're bearing a fruit. You see, church, if we're not about true transformation of the heart, then any man that gets up here with enough charisma, enough good stories, enough sappy stuff, whatever, he can get you to pray a prayer, raise your hand and come forward. But we are not merely after professions, but true possessions. You see, we're not after just getting a response, but genuine repentance. We are after the heart. And only God can do that. Only God can do that. Only God can do that. Church, this allows us to rest and allow the main thing to be the main thing, the Word of God. It should humble us and move us to constant prayer. Oh God, only you can do that work. Could I ask you, how often do you spend time in prayer? 
praying for your spouse or your children, or your grandchildren, a niece or a nephew, a cousin. Just praying, God, please, Lord, I can't change their hearts. I can't make them see. But, oh, God, your spirit, Lord, you are able. Might we ask this morning, how often do we as a church labor to that end? Where we're just spending time in ongoing prayer together, praying, God, please save them. Awaken them. How often do we as a church pray for other churches in this community? Oh God, use them. Let their church grow. Let them see new life. So expositional preaching, it rests in the power of the Word. Expositional preaching rests in the power of the Spirit to transform lives. And lastly, and third, expositional preaching rests in the power of God. Expositional preaching rests in the power of God. Here he would begin verse 11. Then he said to me, Son of man, these bones are the whole house of Israel. Behold, they say, our bones are dried up. Listen to this. And our hope is lost. We are indeed cut off. Hmm. Do you feel that today? Your hope is lost. It's gone. What you once believed might come to pass. It just doesn't seem to be happening. Maybe you feel cut off, like, man, God just seems like he's just forgotten me or cast me to the side. Maybe in that moment you wonder, like, what what should I do? What's the only resolution for that? Listen to what happens, verse 12. Therefore, in response to this, prophesy and say to them, listen to what he says, thus says the Lord God. In the midst of feeling cut off and lost and hopeless and discouraged and defeated, We must come running back to this gospel. Hear again the word of God. Listen, he says, Behold, I will open your graves and raise you up from your graves, O my people, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. You see, the only resolution is is for God's word to come forth. And how does God exercise that power? By the messenger standing there and proclaiming, Thus says the Lord. Again, the power isn't in the preacher, but the God's word who the preacher proclaims. It's the power of God. And what is God's great power? Look, it says there in verse 13. And you shall know that I am the Lord when I open your graves and raise you up from your graves, O my people, and bring you into that land. God is going to do what we could never do. Now, listen, there's three ways, I think, in which we might understand or interpret this portion of the Scripture. One, the immediate context. He's speaking about the Israelites being in captivity physically. And he's going to bring them. Look at there at verse 14. Um, or Sorry, verse 12, and I will bring you into the land of Israel. Verse 14, he reiterates again, and I will place you in your own land. So I think there's an immediate sense of fulfillment that's going to come about again when Cyrus of Persia, the king of Persia, again, after they conquer the Babylonians and they send the Jewish people back to Israel to rebuild the walls and the temple and all those things that the other prophets begin to describe for us. But I think secondly, that this also reminds us of one of the few examples we have in the entire Old Testament of resurrection. There's not a ton of glimmers of that. There's, there's moments, bits and pieces. And that again, that foggy reality becomes crystal clear as we look in the New Testament. But we look here and we're reminded of a future resurrection when God will raise His people up from the grave. Think about that. That's no small matter. Think about the loved ones that you have who died in the Lord. They are with the Lord now, but there's going to come a day. There's going to come a day. When the trumpet of God shall sound, the archangel of God will sound again, that cry will go forth and the dead in Christ will rise. I think this is one of those glimmers that we begin to see and cherish. 
But third and last, I think we need to consider God's power to raise the dead. It's the thing about this in light of our own spiritual reality. How we become new believers, new born again. Notice our condition. I think our condition is similar to what's being described here. We are dead in our sin. That's what Paul says in Ephesians 2. And that deadness and sin leaves you and I day after day rebelling against God. We refuse to submit to his word. We don't want to walk in his ways. We hate God and we hate one another. And by this, the Bible says that we're actually storing up wrath for ourselves in the day of judgment. That's a terrifying thing to consider. That our sin and rebellion is a big deal. It leaves us condemned and separated from God for all eternity in the place the Bible defines as hell. A place of weeping and gnashing of teeth. Yet what, God, what does God do? In his love, he acts on our behalf, doesn't he? That's what this text is saying. Now we know that that crystally clear comes as we come to the New Testament in the sending of the Son of God who was born of the virgin, who lived a sinless life, who goes to Calvary's tree, that cursed place, and he dies as our substitute, the one who lived the holy and perfect life, and yet he also has no sin of his own, and so he can die as the true Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He's the one who takes the judgment and wrath of God that God's wrath and judgment might be satisfied against us. And he was buried on that Friday. He was still in the tomb on Saturday. But just like this text on Sunday morning, by the power of God, the Son of God arose in victory, defeating sin and death and declaring to us that God had accepted the payment. And that all, as you sang this morning, who might come under that precious blood, Honey, you are free. You are free indeed. You are truly clean. No more sin. No more shame. You're free. You're forgiven. You're cleansed. That's this hope of this gospel. And you might say, well, how does, how does he do it? How does he bring about this new life? Look back at verse 14. Listen to this. And I will put my spirit within you. And what is the result of that? And you shall live. It is the work of God's Holy Spirit that causes dead men and women to come to life and to hear the beauty of this gospel. What hope? You see, Ezekiel 37 is really a picture of how people are born again. It's how we come from death to life. And that's by the power of God alone. You've been singing it for years. Jesus sought me when a stranger. Wandering from the fold of God. He to rescue me from danger interposed what, church? That precious blood, didn't he? It's Jesus who came to rescue us and save us. That we might in repentance and faith respond to this good news. Maybe you're here this morning and your heart is leaping forth. Oh, I want that Savior. I want to be rescued. Today is the day of salvation, brother or sister. Come now. Come, repenting of your sins, trusting in Christ alone. You see, church, it is the power of God that is in the preaching of the gospel. It will be found nowhere else. As Paul says to the church of Thessalonica in 1 Thessalonians 2 and 13, he said, And we also thank God constantly for this, that when you received the word of God, which you heard from us, listen to this, you accepted it not as the word of men, but as what it really is, the word of God which is at work in you believers. Beloved, we are proclaiming this word not because it's the word of some men or some church. No, we proclaim unto you this morning the word of God. 
the Word of God. You see, church, that's why you arrange your entire week around this Sunday morning gathering. That's why you say no to so many other things on Sundays or even sometimes Saturday nights that you could be here not to come to be entertained, but that you would hear from God Himself. That's what you want. That's what your children need. That's what my soul and your soul need. To hear from God Himself. That's why you've come. You see, when we stand here and we look around and we see that senior adult who's just physically struggling even just to come and gather with us. Or maybe you notice a young family with the children and trying to balance all of that. Or maybe you see the middle-aged single who's sitting there week after week by themselves, seeming lonely and forgotten. You see, we are urging one another with our prayers, with our singing, with our attentive listening to this Word. And we are saying, oh soul, are you weary and troubled? No light in the darkness, you see? There's light for a look at the Savior. Life more abundant and free. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full at His wonderful face. Then the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of His glory and grace. But maybe you wonder, Blake, why? Why would God do this? Three times in these 14 verses, Ezekiel has repeated like one of his favorite refrains of his entire book. And it's this. Hear it now. Verse 6, verse 13, verse 14, verse 6. And then you shall know that I am the Lord. Verse 13. And you shall know that I am the Lord. Verse 14. Then you shall know that I am the Lord. You see what Adam and Eve lost in paradise. Jesus Christ was going to restore and the Spirit of God was going to come to indwell us by faith that we might experience Revelation 21 and 22 that one day we will be in the presence of God beholding His face. And as John says, we, for we shall see him and we, be, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. This comes as you and I hear the word of God preached week after week, as you study it alone day after day. To the unbeliever in this room this morning, have you come to affirm that you're truly dead in your sin? You see no way of saving yourself. Maybe you echo verse 11. My hope is lost. I feel cut off. I hope and pray you see the beauty of a God who sees you in the midst of that sin. We sang it earlier. Yes, in my sin. Yes, even then He gave His own soul for me. He loves you in the midst of your sin. This morning, would you lay down all of the sinful ways and just say, God, I'm coming. Forgive me. Cleanse me. Change me. I could never do it. I know I stand condemned in Your presence. I'm doomed to eternal hell separated from you where in your presence is the fullness of joy, pleasure forevermore. But God, I come because you love sinners and I can't understand why you love someone like me, but you do. And I come to be forgiven and cleansed and adopted into your family and called a child of God all by grace through faith. To the unbeliever, come to the church. My hope is at the end of each of these messages, maybe just to hit on three quick things. One, where we've been. Two, where we are now. And third, where we might go. Where we've been. The truth is, when I came here, I, man, I, I didn't have anyone teaching or shaping my life. I, I just didn't. And so I was doing my best. But, man, my sermons were more topical. I kind of skipped around week to week. More than that, there was a time in which I relied on elaborate visuals. My heart in that was to try to help people remember the sermons more. And, man, that's a genuine and good thing. 
But at times it was undermining my confidence and inevitably yours in just the trusting of the gospel. I'm thankful for faithful saints in this body who would just gently remind me little statements like, Blake, just preach the word. That's where we've been. Where are we now? Again, I shared earlier we're called to preach the whole counsel of God. And so for the last 12 or 13 years, I remember Mark Lowe and I sitting down and just began to talk how are we going to preach through different books as we tried to balance what we were doing. And, man, so little by little, week after week, we've now covered one or more books from every genre of the Bible. You'd say, well, what are the genres? Well, it's, it's things like you've heard sermons from history, wisdom and poetry, prophecy, the gospel, New Testament letters. There was only one section, as Brother Todd and I sat down and discussed here a little while back, that we were kind of glaringly missing preaching through a book because there are large books usually and they're harder to preach through with the law. And so by God's grace, we began last January preaching through the book of Genesis. And now I realize that I won't have the time to finish that. But by God's grace, I joyfully pass that baton on. Then I think we need to ask thirdly, where might we go? Have we faced this time of transition? I've labored this morning, but over a decade, just to continually remind us that the word of God is enough. Just to preach through a book, through chapters, through verses. Little by little, faithfully, God's just going to build His church. I think expositional preaching is important because when faithfully followed, it results in the full counsel of God being preached. You see, difficult or controversial subjects can't be ignored or overlooked as they could be when you just kind of skip around here or there. Again, I'm not throwing stones at those brothers because I was guilty of that once. But just consider even in our time in just Genesis here in the last year, we face topics like gender, sexuality, marriage, homosexuality, some of the hottest topics in our culture in the first book of the Bible. And we just walked through book by book, and it brought those to our attention. You see, preaching through, as we've been striving to do, it helps us avoid taking verses out of context. It forces the pastor to be more faithful to preach, and I hope and pray it creates a more faithful congregation. Again, as the church looks to God for what's next. I think it's important to say, man, what is that brother going to preach? How are they going to preach? You see, it's not just about this church. Some of you, you're going to move on and go to other churches. And if you enter those doors, you need to be wondering, asking, what does that brother preach? How's he going to preach? You see, God uses his word not only to save, but to keep his people saved. This is no small thing. Therefore, I think I can say this in confidence that there's nothing more defining for the future of this church than the preaching of the Word of God. Therefore, church, I urge you and plead with you to pray fast and seek the face of God. This Word is enough. Would you pray with me? Father, thank you for your Word. It is indeed a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. Thank you, God, for the opportunity to praise you throughout this message and just to do my feeble attempt to lift up your son who said, when I am lifted up, I will draw all people unto myself. Thank you, God, that by your grace you have given us your word and therefore we don't have to wonder week by week what should we preach or what do we... Lord, we just look to you and your word. You know perfectly what the church needs when it needs it. So, Father, strengthen us now. Empower us through your Holy Spirit just to abide in this word, to delight in this word, to taste and see that the Lord is good. Father, thank you that you have used the word to give birth to the church. You are using the word to keep the church safe. And you are using your word, again, by the power of the Holy Spirit 
to one day finally and completely redeem your people to live in your glorious presence forever. All glory be to Christ. In his name I pray, Lord. Amen.